2: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nolbetanchel. Breaking, also known as breakdancing, is a hip-hop dance born out of the Bronx in the 70s and 80s. It's made a comeback and could be featured on the Olympic stage. In June, the International Olympic Committee voted in favor of a proposal that could bring breaking to the 2024 Summer Games in Paris. Coming up, we'll talk about that and more with local hip-hop artist John Mansell Young, better known as Tank Sauce. He'll join us in studio. And we'll flip back to the history of breaking in Connecticut with Tim Wolfe, Former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars, a dance group based in Hartford, Connecticut. Were you a B-boy or B girl back then, or do you break dance today? You can join the conversation. That's later. First, how's the art scene doing in Connecticut? A new study surveyed the Greater Hartford region. Are you parts of the art are you part of the arts community? How can the state better support you? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome into the studio Jackie Coleman. She's Senior Education Investments Officer at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Jackie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lucy. Glad to be here. I mentioned this new study looking at a Greater Hartford. Uh, why focus in on the arts? The Hartford Foundation uh, supports uh, many different initiatives in our state. Well, the arts and culture sector is an important
3: part of a vibrant community. And the Hartford Foundation is interested in the whole community. Um, And my background is actually in the arts, even though I I entered into my
2: work at the Hartford Foundation through education. So tell us more about uh, what you were trying to learn uh, from the study. Who did you partner with to get the information? We partnered
3: with the Connecticut Office of the Arts, which is out of the Department of Economic and Community Development. Uh, they had a, an initiative that they they have an initiative called the Ready Initiative. I uh, believe it's really framing their equity work. And they approached the Harper Foundation and said, gee, we'd love to find out some data about our arts ecosystem. And we were right at that time about to launch our new strategic planning process. And we said, well, you know, we'd love to find out. Out here at the Hartford Foundation, some mm-hmm. some further data as well. So we began to talk and then put together an RFP, and we have worked with um, TDC out of Massachusetts to to do the study. And we found out some some really important things.
2: You mentioned the arts ecosystem. Mm-hmm. What
3: do you mean by that? Who's part of that? I would say that is, but fi- obviously the funders are a part of that because it's you know important to understand the fiscal health of arts organizations, and obviously that's the Hartford Foundation's interest. Um, all of the arts organizations, small, medium, large, and independent artists and creatives. I think that's a, a something I've learned is a new. New term out in the field, and I, I think also even some of the um, for-profit arts organizations that have started to pop up now, um, in this day and age. So it's it's it, and it's also our community. Frankly, it's you know if, if audiences aren't going and enjoying and partaking in the arts, then there is no ecosystem.
2: When we think about arts organizations that get support, uh, we think about uh, museums, um, also like the Wadsworth, mm-hmm. uh, New Britain Museum of American Art. We think of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. But you also mentioned community organizations, Absolutely. and often they are overlooked when it comes to funding.
3: Yes. Well, in the, you know what's really interesting is we did actually ask TDC to do a breakout for us to look at um, the, the, difference, the different the different middle size organizations, small organizations. We asked them to look at at by art form, uh, also are they considered a community cultural organization? And and so we're we're trying to take a look, you know, at all of that data and have some conversations and see how the Hartford Foundation might be able to make some shifts in our investment strategy to to kind of strengthen the sector. Mm.
2: And how diverse is uh, the landscape, so to speak, in the
3: Greater Hartford area? I uh, Well, it, we discovered that there actually uh, is a real shortage of Latinx presence, uh, both in, I would say, performers, presenters, artists, but also um, in the uh, administration level, in the leadership level. Uh, actually, all artists of color seem to be underrepresented based on the population. They seem to be there in the organizations, but not at the higher levels and not at the board level. And actually, the Hartford Foundation is interested in doing something about that. We're looking at developing a fellowship uh, to really nurture some uh, some administrators of color in arts organizations, um, and then potentially also doing some fellowships for artists of color in the greater Hartford region.
2: Mm -hmm. Is it surprising in in 2019 uh, that representation, uh, when you mentioned Latinx and and other people of color uh, Mm -hmm. not being represented we just did a show the other day about you know the largest uh, one of the largest Puerto Rican populations in the state of Connecticut.
3: You know, it, yes and no, because yes, it, it surprises me because I, I, we were talking before. I live in Manchester and I am very thrilled with the diversity of Manchester and I, I love that community and feel very integrated there. At the same time. Uh, it, it, it is, there are still many systemic issues, I think, in all sectors, and including in the arts and culture sector. And I think it's important for us to take a look at that. And the Hartford Foundation has framed our entire strategic plan around race, place, and income. So how could we do that and not take a look at what's going on around race, place, and income in our, um, in our arts ecosystem?
2: You can join our conversation. I'm speaking with Jackie Coleman, Senior Education Investments Officer at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. We're talking about a recent study looking at uh, the arts in the greater Hartford region. If you're part of that community, if you want to chime in about ways uh, your community, uh, the state can better support you, you can join our conversation at 860-275-7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, I mentioned uh, we were talking about gaps. We looked at uh, talked briefly. About mm-hmm. diversity, but tell us more about what the study found.
3: Well, the study found um, not only in the diversity, and I actually want to go back to that for one second because I did want to actually mention and let the listeners know that the Harper Foundation is very interested in finding out about what we can do about this the the, the seemingly shortage of Latinx artists and and leaders of color, um, and artists of color in general, frankly, across all of the art forms. So we actually are planning on convening artists of color in the community to have a conversation, to, to look at some of the data, and to say, you know, what do you think? Where what What's missing? What do you not have? What do you need to, to make the sector more vibrant and more inclusive? Uh, so, and then in terms of other things that the Hartford Foundation discovered through our, uh, our study, was actually that dance um, was really underrepresented in our community and that has spurned some conversations gee what does that mean are we talking about are people not participating like being dancers in you know in participatory ways or are they not going to see dance um, are we talking about all forms of dance How did this you know is the study really inclusive of what's going on um, in in like the Puerto Rican community you mentioned the Puerto Rican community the, the that's a that community dances like part of their their nature. So, um, and we have such a rich uh, Latinx community in the Hartford region. So I think we're very curious why this came out in the study and what
2: we can do about it. Uh, Does a location play a part in this? I mean, is this something I mentioned, uh, you know, looking back uh, over the years and looking at our population changing? uh, We're in between New York and Boston uh, where they have uh, great institutions that get lots of support. Does that play a a role in uh, where we see the arts community today and what's being funded and not? Well, in our study, we actually did ask
3: TDC to look at comparable cities of our size, of Hartford, and we are actually doing well. Comparatively, across you know to those cities, uh, I think there's definitely some truth to the being between Boston and heart. I mean, Boston and New York. Uh, at the same time, we we have a rich, diverse population here, and you know, it's it's our community that we want to serve. And it's our community that I believe arts and culture should be at the center, not the center of, I believe it should be at the center of, but a big part of, you know, like for, for health, for wellness, for caring about your community. We have um, outcomes in our new strategic plan around yeah. reducing gun violence. I believe the arts and culture sector can make a difference with that. And so does the Harvard Foundation. Uh, we're looking at some investments, in the arts and culture sector, that can reduce gun violence and potentially um, <clears throat> reduce recidivism. Uh, we talked about um, how creative placemaking and how can we use the arts and culture to lift our neighborhoods here in, in Hartford, mm-hmm. things like that.
2: Well, let's talk more about uh, next steps, and we're going to link to this report on our website, org slash where we live. Uh, you mentioned reaching out to uh, communities of color uh, being very uh, uh Direct in that, but what mm-hmm. about some other steps uh, from what you've uh, found out in this study? I think
3: um, I'm particularly interested in in learning more about our dance sector. So I think perhaps the Harford Foundation would would be interested in convening some dance sector folks at some point. I think in general the. We have, convening is one of our tools. And I do believe the Hartford Foundation will want to convene not only artists of color, but in different ways, other groups of artists as well. And there's a couple of things that we're thinking about at the Hartford Foundation connected to our strategic plan. Uh, we're thinking about, like I said, the creative placemaking. We're thinking we've learned a lot about arts incubators across the country. And we're thinking, what's going on here? Uh, we've heard that there's some issue with space and finding shared space or uh, rehearsal space, office space, uh, potential issues with not having enough funding for marketing. So maybe that's influencing the, um, the audience, you know, audiences knowing about what's really happening. So we're, talking to some, some folks about that. Uh, we're also interested in restorative arts practices, uh, and potentially bringing in um, some, some experts in that that can prepare our local artists, if they're interested, to work with, with our young people who have experienced a lot of violence or potentially have parents that are incarcerated. Um and, you know, quality arts instruction. I'm a big advocate mm-hmm. of of the value of quality arts instruction, and there's so many models across the country. The Mosaic Model for Youth Development through the Arts in Detroit. Uh, there's some really great stuff in Cleveland that's happening out of school time in urban centers, uh, really showing how when you're giving young people the opportunity to engage in arts, they're making a big difference in their community.
2: Well, Jackie Coleman, thank you so much for coming in today here on Where We Live. She's Senior Education Investments Officer at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Uh, nice to speak with you, Jackie. Thank you so much. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpithanchel. Coming up, we talk about breaking, better known as breakdancing. You could see it in the Summer Olympics in 2024. There's a possibility there. And after the break, we'll talk about the origins of breaking in the Bronx and its influence on young people in Connecticut. For you a B boy or B girl join the conversation 860 275 7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live
1: The flavor is known you can't get Jackbone not a soprano my voice is more a mellow tone suckers will flake cannot participate in the
4: contest give me the trophy
2: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nalbeth Did you hear the Summer Olympics in 2024 may include breaking as an Olympic sport? Known as break dancing. I mentioned that vote uh, was uh, in June, but again, that final decision uh, by the Olympic Committee won't happen until another year. But back in the day, were you a B boy or B girl? Do you break today? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, We just heard from the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, uh, hearing that uh, dance is on the decline uh, in the state in terms of, of organizations that support it. And we wanted to talk more about dance, specifically breaking. For more on the evolution of this hip-hop dance, joining me now in studio is Tim Wolf. He's former manager of the Peace Train, Breaking and Popping All-Stars, a dance group based in Hartford back in the 1980s. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks. Also here with me is John Mansell Young, also known as Tang Sauce. He's a Hartford, Connecticut-based hip-hop artist. Always a pleasure to speak with you, Tang.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: So let's uh, back up and go back a little bit uh, to uh, breaking in Connecticut. Uh, Let's first learn a little bit more about Peace Train. Tim, tell us, what was it?
4: So Peace Train was a community arts organization. It started out the dream of uh, one rather creative eccentric guy named Paul LeMay, who bought an old school bus and converted it to look like a red caboose. And it literally looked like a red caboose driving down the highway. And uh, he started putting on music events in public parks and housing projects and senior centers and any place he could bring music. And he brought it places for free, struggled for a few years to get funding, and also uh, brought the New England Fiddle Contest to Hartford, Connecticut. And that became kind of a legend in uh, Bushnell Park events. Uh, growing over the course of about six years to drawing uh, an audience of 80,000 people who just listened to the same fiddle tune played by different people for a full day. Uh, it sort of boggles the imagination, but uh, I was there, it happened. Um, and that organization, which was a real uh, vital part of sort of Hartford summer life, um, there's nobody who lived in, who was a Hartford resident, um, in those days, and I'm talking the late 70s, or from the mid-70s to the mid-80s, uh, was unaware of the Red Caboose and um, what it did in not only bringing music to all the neighborhoods for free, but also employing local artists and bands um, uh, to do those concerts and performances. It was so successful, the city of New Haven contracted us to uh, provide uh concerts in their parks and in some of the early iterations of music on the New Haven Green.
2: Were Uh, you a Hartford resident back then? How'd you get uh, involved in Peace Train?
4: Well, I got involved when I was a high school student. I had this, I built kites and I was passionate about it. And I went to the Knox Foundation, who was headed up by another Hartford legend, Jack Dollard, and uh, told them about my idea of having a kite festival in Bushnell Park. And Jack said, sure, how much money do you need? And I, I was, like, baffled. I was 16. I was like, I don't know, how's $500? He said, sure. And then he gave me some staff, and, uh, and the first uh, Kite Day in Hartford was born. Uh, and from that, the peace train showed up to that event. And I began to meet these people and this whole network of, uh, of a burgeoning and very vibrant arts community back in those days, mm-hmm. um,
2: so you mentioned that the that uh, the fiddle uh, was a big attraction. Uh, there was that fiddle festival. Uh, but how did you go? How did Peace Train go from fiddle to breaking?
4: So by the time the 1980s rolled around, um, there was uh, the then director of the of Peace Train, the nonprofit, was a guy named Jack McNair, and I was the other staff member, full time staff member, as the program director. And Jack and I were looking for ways to make uh, Peace Train a little more reflective and relevant of Hartford. Um, It was one thing to be known for the fiddle contest, uh, which was a very popular event, Um, and and people outside of Hartford knew less about what we did in the neighborhoods, the people in the neighborhoods knew, um, but we wanted to reflect those neighborhoods and what was going on. Uh, We were whiffing a cultural phenomena uh, taking place in New York. In the Bronx. Uh, in in the Bronx, Brooklyn, but also in in various venues and getting exposure in some of the alternative arts venues in Manhattan. Um, and one of those was the Rock Steady Crew, a group of a crew of breakdancers um, in New York. And they were getting written about in alt papers like The Village Voice. So we were we were sort of catching on to this phenomena, but we're totally unaware. For people who were out doing shows in, in uh, you know Bellevue Square and Stowe Village and Charter Oak Terrace, we weren't seeing breakdancing going on. So it was like, well, is it not here? And so we sort of went out and did a little detective work, just got out and started asking people on the street, kids if they knew about this? And you'd get some answers like, oh, yeah, I heard there was a crew that meets in the Anawan Street Projects and blah, 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 you know, this kind of thing. And it wasn't until we walked into a uh, record shop in downtown Hartford called Disco Tape, and we said to the proprietor, the manager there, a guy named Rick Torres, um, what about breaking? Is it going on in Hartford? And he said, give me a minute. And he and uh, his uh, assistant pushed back a bin of records from the middle of the floor, like, you know, you can imagine what that weighed, and dropped the needle on a record, and they both started breakdancing in front of us on the linoleum floor right there in the record shop. And I said, okay, so it is going on here.
2: Did you, did you <laughs> attempt to learn breaking into? Uh, you know, I think
4: that lasted, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a very short minute. <laughs> um, and so. we keep
2: saying breaking. It, it, um, most people, uh, especially in the media, we say break dancing. That's how that term became popular. But it's known as breaking.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. breaking. And then it's sort of the sister art to breaking is popping, mm-hmm. popping and locking, as it's it's mm-hmm. been known, and which is the more sort of robotic uh, body isolation, uh, body part isolation uh, kind of thing. And and sometimes there you'll have people who will do both. But often people specialize in one or the other um, of these because they really take a lot of of skill and they're sort of a different, you know, Tang can talk to this, Mm -hmm. maybe a different set of skills. One is a little more acrobatic and the other is more dance Uh, like, although those lines may be blurring nowadays. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: let's bring uh, Tang Sauce into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you weren't, b- weren't born probably back when uh, Peace Train was uh, getting uh, uh, getting its start. <laughs> but when we think about breaking, it's like a part of hip hop. So explain mm-hmm. that to us, and then the specific moves in breaking.
1: Right, right. So with breaking, it's part of hip hop, and there's four main elements of hip hop. You know, you've got um, emceeing, that's rapping. We've got graffiti. That's the uh, the art element as far as visual art goes. Um, then uh, we've got uh, breaking that we're uh, talking about, like right now. And I th- I'm not. I think I said DJing. I'm not sure if I said DJing already, but uh, DJing and uh, all that together is uh, hip hop. Uh, there's some people, uh, you know, say there's uh, more elements, but for the for the main part when we're talking about hip hop, we're talking about the core four elements, and that's what those elements are. Um, what was the other part of your question? I'm sorry. Well,
2: I was just curious when we when we think about uh, breaking again being part of hip hop to describe mm. like the different. Uh, Tim had mentioned you know certain parts of breaking. You really have to be flexible and acrobatic. But it star- How does it start? It starts with top rock.
1: Right, right. <laughs> okay, I let's got go you. Let's go all the way there. All right, all right, all right. So let's talk about the elements of breaking specifically. Okay, so we've got uh, there's a there's elements. So the top rock, right? This is element number one. This is kind of the more. Uh, rhythmic, standing, beat-catching stuff that we do before we get started. It's kind of like a warm-up, if you would, right? But, you know, you got to realize with this is that this isn't just random movement. All these things that we're doing are precise movements that are different things. It's not like the dancers are just going up there and just kind of bugging out. Like, everybody has their own energy, and some, some people will kind of wild out a little bit, but there are specific moves that they're doing as well, right? And then you've got footwork. Footwork is basically anything where your hands and feet are on the ground. Right. So this is kind of like if you could think of like a crab walk, like that could be a footwork move, you know. Um, So that's like six step, 12 step, uh, 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 back rock, uh, uh, three step and three step kick and all these different variations, you know, six step, of course. Then you've got power moves. Uh, Power moves is like the gymnastic, high energy, wild kind of crowd appeasing, not even necessarily crowd appeasing, but anything basically where your your feet are off the ground is like power moves. So that's your flares, your windmills, your head spins, your back spins, your shoulder spins, your air flares, your 90s, all these different types of moves, which are all different moves. Uh, And I just want to point that out for people, like all these different things that we're doing are specific, particular moves. And you have to get creative with it as well, but they're all distinguished things, right? And then the last uh, element that I'll touch on and break in here is uh, freezes. And that's basically any move where you're stand still for a second you know kind of like if you wanted to take a picture that's what you're freeze that you would most likely do a freeze in that instance so uh those, those are your elements right there they're all they're all particular things we but there takes a lot of creativity too because one thing in breaking that's big is biting you cannot bite and biting is basically copying someone's moves <laughs> and, and it makes a lot of sense coming from where breaking comes from like you know uh communities that are uh not in the best uh economic place they kind of you don't have a lot of things, material, you know, so what do you have? You have your creativity. So if I make a move, that might be one of the only things that I have. So that means a lot to me. So you can't take that from me. I I need that, you know, or or he or she needs that for them because that's something that's valuable. That That's something that came from them that showed them that they can do something in an environment where you may not have all those type of uh you not you may not have that that feeling ever told to you like yeah you can do this but now you know that you can do this and you could be creative and you can make something dope out of something that came from the top of your mind or wherever your creative flow funnel comes from, you know, so that's breaking, no biting, <laughs> creativity. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's Tang Sauce in studio here on Where We Live. You can join our conversation, eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. I want to go back to Tim Wolfe, former manager of the Peace Train, Breaking and Popping All-Stars. Uh, pick up off what uh, Tang was telling us about uh, creativity uh, in communities that didn't have um, a lot of opportunities. We saw that uh, in uh, New York uh, in the late 70s and 80s. And how did uh, breaking then, uh, you know, uh, again, spread into Hartford, into these neighborhoods that you mentioned?
4: A lot of it had to do with migration. Basically, uh, Hartford is close enough to New York. There's a lot of families with relatives and split families that, you know, may have like one parent living in the Bronx and the other is up in Hartford. And so kids would move sometimes between these two places. Um, And in a lot of the original kids that I came to know, um were in crews that learned their moves from their friends or who had moved here from New York. Or these kids had gone back to see family and checked out what their cousins and stuff were doing in uh, in Queens or in Brooklyn or the Bronx and, and getting exposed to this. And so they would try it out here. And it took a little while. It took a few years for it really to get up here. But I mean, Kids were breaking it dancing in Hartford in, in the late 80s, uh, early 80s. I mean, I didn't just because I didn't become aware of it until like 82, 83, doesn't mean it wasn't going on here. <laughs> and Peace Train was fortunate in that we were used to putting on shows, putting on concerts, production, that kind of thing. We could do that stuff in our sleep. And so we sort of came up with the idea of like, now that we know what's going on, let's give it some exposure, let's have a breakdancing concert, uh, not concert, contest. <laughs> And we sort of scheduled it for Bushnell Park, plastered the hell out of the north and south ends of Hartford uh, on flyers on telephone poles to just spread the word. I mean, you didn't put something in the Hartford Current; It wasn't going to be seen, you know. So you had to sort of like do street level publicity and our phones started ringing.
2: What were, the, what were the roles of the record shops in getting the word out? And spreading uh,
4: this? Well, the record shops in those days were, uh, there weren't that many, but it was, they were in interesting locations. Uh, back in those days, you would have record departments in department stores in downtown Hartford. That's like hard for people to fathom. <laughs> First of all, that there was, aside from G Fox's, and I'm not talking about the G Fox record department, and they had one, but there were other record stores in more uh, budget-minded department stores in Hartford with record departments that were catering to the needs of their customers and those customers were people who lived in the city who were asking for do you have these Sugar Hill records you know by the Sugar Hill gang Grandmaster Flash Flash, Melly Mel you know the early sort of pioneers so this stuff started moving its way so musically it wasn't getting played on the radio it was being played in the projects at parties Um, at different block parties, community gatherings, someone's apartment, whatever.
2: You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, as we talk about the history of breaking, uh, also known as breakdancing. Marissa's calling from Guilford. Marissa, go ahead. Hi. Thanks
0: for letting me share my story. I grew up in New Haven and was hanging around in downtown New Haven in the 90s with my best friends and we saw a man break dancing Um, and my friends and I just watched him and said oh we've got to add this to our repertoire so we asked this man named Absalom if he could teach us break dancing and we started you know this group of us five white girls started meeting with him once a week in downtown New Haven and he gave us break dancing lessons for about a year and we all went off to college and continued our breakdancing, and uh, and now, as a 37-year-old woman, I still bust out every once in a while with, like, some up-rocking and six-stepping, <laughs> and people are just blown away. Like, no one can believe that this is something I know how to do.
2: So you were and one that, of the B-girls.
0: <laughs> I was one of the B-girls back in the 90s. And um, to me, it was it was like a real part of growing up in New Haven to have that opportunity.
2: Well, thank you, Marissa, for calling in to uh, where we live. Uh, Tang, when did uh, B-girls get acceptance in the breaking uh, world, so to speak? Because it was primarily B-boys that were doing it.
1: Right, right, right. Always, you know, but things are starting to come to the forefront more like nowadays. And um, B-girls are starting to get their well-deserved shine. Like there's this, uh, the main competition in -in break-in is uh, called BC1, Red Bull BC1. And it used to just be pretty much male-dominated, you know. Um, And it's basically the top 16, you know, B-boys and B-girls from all around the world you know? And, uh, so what they did, I believe it was, uh, just last year they started, they had a a, se- a separate competition for the B girls and it's, and it's so cool because you really get to see the B girls sh- get their well-deserved shine, uh, which is, uh, so cool. Cause there's so, so much talent and, uh, I'm really glad to see it, you know, and, uh, shout out to all the B girls out there doing your thing. Cause you know, we love ya,
2: <laughs> uh, Tim. You again were former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All Stars, this dance group based in Hartford in the eighties. This was an all-boy group. It
4: was, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we really didn't see uh, any female participation in those days. It was uh, a pretty male-dominated thing, I will say. In uh, as far as the girls went, they dominated and ruled in double dutch. In double dutch was huge. Um, I would say Double Dutch without getting sort of the same kind of credit uh, played as significant a role in, uh, in kids in their physical health and social and cultural participation in something that was, I mean, even though it was, it was uh, practiced, Double Dutch jump roping was practiced in non-communities of color in communities of color, it was played a really, uh, uh, I would say, a more vital role, and part of part of the support. In the same way that Peace stream was able to support as an organization, in an organization that received funding from foundations and corporations to put on to do the things we did, uh, Double Dutch had uh, as its main sponsor. It's certainly in Connecticut, was United Technologies, who at the time was very involved in supporting uh, arts uh, programming and things like that. And so it's no small coincidence that because of the sport Double Dutch got in Connecticut, that the world champion teams in the 80s were from Hartford. Um, So...
2: So when we talk about the popularity of uh, breaking uh, back when you were managing uh, Peace Train, breaking and popping all-stars, tell us some of the places the dance crew performed and what was the reaction?
4: Uh, Well, the dance crew, I should just go back and say from that first uh, contest we had in Bushnell Park where we had 20 crews uh, competing and 10,000 people showing up to watch them, which was mind-blowing in and of itself. Uh, that, that there was that much sort of just grassroots support for the art form, uh, we recognized immediately uh, that these guys needed more of a platform, and that's when we formed the All Stars. In fact, a few days after the breakdancing contest, which got this great exposure to these kids, we had them, uh, the winners, open up for the Alvin Haley Dance Company, which we were presenting in Bushnell Park uh, later that week. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, once we formed the All Stars as a group of about four or five crews, including about twenty-five kids, um, boys from age maybe sixteen to eight, six to eighteen, um, we developed a program to do basically take them into schools, suburban schools, to do assemblies and lecture demos on hip hop and break breaking and popping. So. I would alternate you know, when we would use one crew or another so they weren't getting taken out of school all the time, but their parents in the schools were c- cool with it because it was giving them exposure to other students in other communities and going to other schools, and they were learning how to be presenters. And so let's say we would go to a uh, an elementary school to do an assembly in Litchfield County, um, these kids, we'd bring our own little portable sound system. We'd have our mixtape of uh, good beats and everything. And then we basically let the kids, the break dancers and the poppers themselves, present to those other kids, this is what we do. They demonstrate it, and then they'd invite kids to come up from the audience. And I'm sure, Tang, you might have done one of these or two uh, in your day, but... Um, so we were doing this and we did dozens and dozens of these um, and also would, would because we were getting known, we would get calls and get booked. We, uh, the group performed at halftime at a Boston Celtics game in the Hartford Civic Center. We were featured in a Hartford Symphony Pops concert in the Bushnell where the kids came up uh, breaking and popping from a, a lift in the floor of the stage That's awesome. uh, We did. I know you're having the (laughs) Hartford Stage Company on later. We performed at the Stage Company. Mm -hmm. Oh, we did all sorts of things, um, uh, and and traveled as far as New Hampshire uh, to perform. And so, would you
2: say Connecticut was seen as a trailblazer in spreading this?
4: It was, um, as best as I could tell in those days. We were the only ones. We were the first statewide uh, contest, breakdancing contest in the country. Um, And we did that in the following year in 1984 and with regionals in New Haven, Waterbury, Bridgeport and Hartford. So, yeah, we were we were lighting a match.
2: Tim Wolfe is former manager of the Peace Train Breaking and Popping All-Stars. It's a dance group based in Hartford, Connecticut in the 1980s. We're going to continue talking about breaking. We're going to hear more from Tank Sauce, John Mansell Young, who's a Hartford, Connecticut-based hip-hop artist, about the resurgence in breaking, how he got started. And we'll hear more from Hartford Stage, a really interesting uh, performance coming up here uh, in Hartford. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy nall This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy nalpeth Today we're talking about breaking uh, with uh, Tim Wolf, former manager of the Peace Train, Breaking and Popping All-Stars. This was a dance group based in Hartford, Connecticut back in the 1980s. And John Mansell Young, also known as Tang Sauce, a Hartford, Connecticut-based hip hop artist. Um, if you break today, you can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, we were learning about a little bit of the history of breaking coming to Connecticut, influenced by New York, uh, Tang Sauce. Uh, When did you get uh, introduced to breaking and when was the resurgence? When did it happen, the resurgence?
1: Right. So I pretty much came in um, during the resurgence. Um, So I believe it was around 2004, uh, a movie called You Got Served came out. And that was a big phenomenon that really raised the awareness of breaking to uh, like my generation in a major way. So um, that's around 2004. Uh, you know, I'm in middle school. I, You know, this movie comes out and all my friends are breaking. And it was something that I heard about, you know, growing up. I had an older cousin and an older brother that were into hip hop, like during like what's called the golden era of hip hop, you know, during late 80s, 90s. And so they put me on to like break in. But it was sort of something that I heard about, you know, and, and maybe I had maybe seen... A video once of it on like MTV or something <laughs> like that, but it wasn't anything that I was super exposed to, uh, till 2004 when this movie comes out and then we see people doing all types of crazy moves. People are doing like spinning on their head, they're doing flares, they're 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 they're, they're hitting beats, and we're just like, yo, what is going on? you know so we uh we started trying it ourselves just uh, trial and error you know we didn't have any teachers you know um you know we, we definitely uh we were getting in trouble for it a couple times at school you know cuz we just had that passion we didn't have like a place to go with it you know but um so i i hope that with uh b boy getting more exposure now that uh, you know things start to come around for like kids that are young and doing it now because uh, it's definitely something very athletic but anyway um, so that was around 2004 and that, that I got introduced to that and it was super amazing at the same time the internet was booming too uh, so there was websites like you could check out like bboy.com back in the day there was bboy world um, and, 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 they, and, and, and uh, there was even bboy.org which was a big thing back then and uh you know basically you could there wasn't too many videos on there but you would see like a big battle is like freestyle session that's one of the biggest battles uh of the in the world every year and um you would see like a clip, like a five-minute clip, like 180p. (laughs) And it would take like five minutes to download to watch like a two-minute video, you know, when you're using dial-up or whatever. But you would watch that, and you would just run it back a million times, and you'd be like, wow, this is really, really amazing. What did he even just do, you know? and um, so you you had to really watch out what was going on and there would be forums so you could build your little profile and things were just kind of developing you know but the internet really helped in a major way to really bring a lot of consciousness to to break in and um, that was that wave right there 2004 and there was some crews because you know things kind of slowed down like you know near like late 90s 2000s but there was some crews that were like still doing it like I think like of Shadow and Earth was still doing it during that time out here in Adam out Middletown, um, a couple other crews, I think um, LOZ, uh, a couple, a couple different crews were still uh, lost, unknown, doing the thing throughout it, and uh, you know, much respect to those crews that were still doing the thing because, uh, really, because of them, like we're still doing it out here today. You Teng,
2: know, do you mentor kids uh, today who are interested in breaking? And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about, you know, we're hearing headlines that July is now uh, one of the most violent uh, months that the city of Hartford has seen in a long time. We look at the uh, how uh, hip hop and breaking uh, evolved uh, from New York City it was a way for uh, some to escape or get a break from gang violence and I'm just curious when you talk with youth that are interested in breaking what do you hear from them today
1: yeah uh today the youth they're uh, just as curious as they always been you know they 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 would definitely want to get down and with the internet as big as it is now they definitely want to uh just really soak it all in, and they definitely are, and uh, doing it in a major way. This generation coming up, I, they have so much potential. It's crazy right now. So I'm super excited to see, um, and, 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 and I'm just glad that uh, breaking we're, we're still around because, uh, you, like you're saying, you know, it, 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 there's so much not even just violence, just like tough vibes to deal with going out. But you see with break and you know, people, I'm not sure if it's because like, we're close to the earth, like kind of like how KRS describes it, like when you're doing a freeze, a lot of time, your head is literally on the ground. And I think there's something very humbling in that, you know, you're on the same ground that people are walking, you know, coming from outside, wherever their shoes were, but you still, I want to express myself in this way. And I love it so much that I'm still no matter what, gonna put my head on the ground to do this freeze because this is my art you know and I think that's very humbling so it comes with humble vibes a lot of time I mean there's a couple times you know we're breaking with it you'll have some people with like different egos and stuff like that but for the most part you know it is it, very very down-to-earth people um and I think that's important for the kids to be around and I think they kind of feel that you know before they even uh get that knowledge they'll just they could you could feel the energy coming off of it you know and and so like when I'm like dealing with the young kids I you know I you know I'm Mr. Peace Love and Positivity so I'm always going to put the peace love and positivity out there and just tell them just to keep doing it stay consistent you know uh don't give up you know just keep trying and and it's super cool too because like with breaking like you'll look at it well a lot of people look at it I know I did before I got started like yo uh that move that that guy just did man that that's nothing I could do that right now and then you try it and you're like, oh, man, that wasn't easy because <laughs> you crash. <laughs> crash is when you uh, fall and break and you, you end up <laughs> crashing. And you're like, dang, what the heck? I thought I could do that. And then, like, you know, you keep trying it for a year and then you're able to do it. But it gives you a lot of humility and respect for what you saw that other person just do because you really understand where they're coming from and, 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 what, and what it took to get to that level for that move that might have seemed like a flashy, easy move. It, 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 it takes a lot of dedication and work. So I think it, the kids they're 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 soaking that in they're doing real good and i just tell them to keep doing their thing because um i remember when uh the the people that i looked up to when i was coming up they would tell me the same thing like just keep doing it you know and uh and if you're a b-boy out there just keep on giving advice to or a b-girl out there just keep giving advice to the younger generations you see fit you know use your experiences to help uh, enrich them because um they're 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 uh uh, they're standing on our shoulders, but eventually we're going to have to use them to fall back on, you know, because they're going to be organizing the events eventually. They're uh, they're uh, eventually going to be on the top of the scene eventually. And, and that's going to be when we're kind of out of commission and we want to, you know, our future, our legacy is in their hands. So, you know, you got to treat them right and teach them the right elements and the right pieces of knowledge and the right gems in order to get them to the right spot. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, when your neck is too sore to, <laughs> to do <laughs> those fancy right. moves. Uh, speaking of, of youth, there's a really interesting... Summer Program, which I believe you were involved in at one point, Tang Sauce. I wanted to bring into the conversation uh, Nina Pynchon, who's Associate Director of Education at Hartford Stage. Nina, welcome to the show. Thanks. So, such a pleasure to be here. I understand that there are uh, young people at Hartford Stage uh, that are blending, breaking with Shakespeare. Tell us about that. Absolutely. I mean, this is a, a program that's called Breakdancing
5: Shakespeare. Uh, it's one of the neighborhood studios, uh, programs, uh, for the Greater Hartford Arts Council. So we're one of the, their, their studios for youth employment. Um, and every summer we bring in sort of 15 teenagers and we work on a Shakespeare text, uh, and we infuse that Shakespeare text, uh, with hip hop, hip hop and breaking.
2: And so tell us, um, this is more than just a, a summer camp where uh, kids are involved with something. I mean, they're getting paid uh, to uh, perform and to learn uh, the lines and the moves? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, part of the idea is
5: that uh, you can sort of level the playing field for for uh, young people uh, so that uh, you know some 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 young people can afford to be spending their summer in a paid training program for dance or for acting uh mm. this is a paid job, and for many of our apprentices it's their first paying paid job uh but they're here with us this summer doing the the work of dancing um, most of the day every day and uh and acting most of the day every day mm. uh so it they they really do earn their their uh their stipend every week.
2: So tell us, for our listeners who are interested in, in seeing uh, this performance, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, tell us where they could uh, see it and what time. Yeah, so we're we're at Hartford Stage the 1st,
5: 2nd, and 3rd of August at 7 p.m. Tickets are $10 and uh, they can be booked through the website or certainly you could come, come to the door on those days. Um, and it, it really is something... Uh, something magical so I encourage all
2: to come and see so that's the break Shakespeare production of a Midsummer Night's Dream uh, coming to the Hartford stage we'll have more information on our website at WMPR.org slash where we live uh, Nina Pynchon thank you for uh, telling us about it here on where we live uh, Tang what do you remember about uh, being involved with the break dancing Shakespeare
1: man one of the one of the most uh great experiences of my young teenager life for sure um Wow. I, I remember just, you know, we, 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 I was in school and my friend had done the program the previous year, which was the first year, which was Romeo and Juliet. And then my year was Midsummer's Night's night stream. And I say, okay, you know what? We're going to get paid to, to go break, like whatever, like, let's go do it. I got to go to Harvard. What do I got to do? You know, cause we're, yeah, we was young and broke, but whatever. Um, so yeah, so we get down there and, they say, okay, so this is what the audition consists of. Uh, we're going to act you to act, just like whatever, like, you know, just kind of do your thing, you know, and then break. Okay, so obviously I got down on the breaking part, you know, and then uh, – because I had been doing it for a little while. And then, you know, the acting part comes around, and you're like, okay, whatever, like – <laughs> whatever you guys want me to do <laughs> it's called into shakespeare whatever so you know you do the acting part and then you know you're just like okay i, I guess that was cool my, now, now on to the next part of my day and and then you get a call back you're like oh dang a callback! did i mess up was that bad <laughs> and you're like okay whatever we'll do the call back and then you're reading some extra lines i'm like oh okay dang i, I don't what I, I hope i didn't do anything wrong so then you know you you get uh you get a call a couple weeks later that you get the, like the one of the leading roles of, of like Oberon in this play and like I, you know for me I always knew like I kind of had like a little grip on like the English language but I didn't really have an outlet a little, for come it. on
2: Tang yeah. give yourself some
1: credit <laughs> <laughs> A little, little some something, something you know <laughs> so uh yeah so that what that did for me was provide an outlet for me that I would have never thought of I and I've continued to act in, in various productions um, and. And I love it. I love acting. And I don't I don't know if I would have ever really touched upon it if it wasn't for breakdance and Shakespeare, because it it, it it exposed me to it in a new way. And I loved it so much because it was so diverse. Like I was a kid coming from Manchester, pretty diverse school. But um I got to be around people that were doing things different than me like again in a different way because these are kids like you're exposed to kids like that are going to the academy that like want to become like actors and dancers like full time and you know it's kind of different because you're in a regular high school it's like a bunch of different people that want to do a bunch of different things you know but to see somebody that was like specifically like in the art for the art for like this is what they want to do at my age was like oh man this is cool and they're coming from like different like backgrounds you know like ethnically and, and and probably economically so like it was just super cool to be around them and i think that's probably one of the most important programs that's like around that i've ever seen like in the arts period it's just it's such a such a great experience and then you get to you learn about like having to execute things like on point i mean outside of the battle of course in the battle you got you have to execute but in another you're exercising different muscles you know yeah the, uh, the shakespearean if you would mm-hmm. muscle, and you're learning about these different things.
2: Well, Tang, we're almost out of time. I mm-hmm. wanted to go back to Tim Wolfe. Uh, Tim, you've seen uh, the beginning of breaking, and, and now the evolution. I mean, what's your reaction to uh, how you've seen it uh, change?
4: Oh I love to see the resurgence. Um, you know, there was a there was a little lull there for a decade or so. It felt like, um, especially as far as the dance goes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was happening though was the whole rap scene was was exploding mm-hmm. and becoming an international you know, commercial success and phenomena. And the talent that's that's around is, especially in in Hartford and Connecticut, it mm. gets overlooked a lot, but it's right here. It's right under people's noses. And we'll have mm. to
2: leave it there. Tim Wolf and Tank Sauce, thanks so much for joining us today here on Where We Live.
4: Thanks. Uh,
2: today's a show produced by Lydia Brown. Uh, thanks to Carmen Baskoff and Kyan Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel.